Now, slowly but suddenly, quite surely, we seem to be coming to the end of native forest logging in this country. Uh, Victoria is named to date. Uh, discussion is vigorous in other states, and it's, it's undoubtedly a, a significant moment. Nothing quite says white people like the clear felling of centuries-old forests for wood chips. Uh, but, but stopping the logging, that's, that's not the end of the story. Uh, to discuss, I'm joined by Jack Pascoe. Jack's a research fellow at the University of Melbourne and conservation and research manager at the Conservation Ecology Centre. Jack, welcome. Thanks. Uh, nice to be here. Certainly a landmark moment, that, that cessation of, of that industry, which is, has destroyed a great number of trees over quite a few years. Yeah, look, it's a moment in history. I, I think it sort of took a, a lot of people by surprise bringing it forward. Obviously, the moratorium was set uh, previously to to come into effect in, in 2030, but um, mm. certainly bringing it forward is a is a point in time and um, now a, a, a number of conversations need to begin. Well, that's the interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, and, and the focus has been from all those groups active in this area about having that process stop, stop the logging. But after that, what what comes next is a really interesting and complex issue. It is. It is. Um, obviously, it has different outcomes for different groups of people. You know, employment issues need to be addressed for those forestry workers who've been in the industry for a long time. But I think it's a, a really um, exciting opportunity too in terms of how we begin to vision the future of our, our forest country across Victoria. Obviously, it's going to feed into a national conversation about the role of, of forestry and on um, within the public estate. So really interesting time and, and hopefully the conversations can um, uh, be allowed to be had. But there will be areas of forest which will be spared from logging. That's, that's a, a certain outcome. The voices that need to be heard in, in this next phase, um, you're a Ewan man from the people from from southern New South Wales you 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 would argue that the the voice of, of First Nations Australians need to be prominent in that conversation I think that's one of the great opportunities so particularly in southern Australia the opportunities for for first peoples to um, manage country or be a part of that that role of looking and caring for country have been been minimal just because of access to country and so the opening up of, of new tracts of public land um, where we have to have questions about how they're managed and, and who should manage them. I think this is what represents an opportunity for First Peoples. And so um, I'm really keen to have those voices heard and to make space for those voices, um, acknowledging that the, the Victorian government had said a, a committee or a panel would be uh, appointed to discuss what the, the management of these forests now looks like in the future, both the management and tenure. And I really hope that those that panel, and really advocate strongly, that panel has strong representation of Indigenous voices from across Victoria to advocate for or assert the rights to care for country on within the territories of those people. Because, of course, those forests, that, that, that those areas of land with those trees on them were, were managed for millennia by First Peoples in this place. That's right. And we, 
we can look at numerous sources for descriptions of country. Uh, if you go back to Bill Gamage's work, collating a whole lot of artwork and, and journals around, um, you know, describing forests as more parkland than what we see today. Mm. But, you know, lots of fo- the forests of, of Victoria were quite diverse. And what we have now is largely a, a landscape of, of recovering forest country. Lots of young trees, often at, at high density. Now, the country wasn't like this prior to colonisation, and we've entrenched some of those processes through intensive logging in parts, but also high-intensity, infrequent wildfires have um, encouraged that cycle of um, generating uh, dense stands of both scrub and trees. So um, we can look to the way that the old people were managing country for, I guess, um, uh, a blueprint for how forests might look into the future, but also how, I guess, the, the ways in which these forests have been managed and could be managed in the future. And I guess the other part of the story is there are going to be, you know, and should be economic opportunities for First Nations people mm. in um, the change in, in uh, management of these places. It's a complex thing, isn't it? Because th- what you're describing there, that, that careful management of those places, they that runs into sort of a modern notion of, of restoring some sense of, in quotes, wilderness to these places. Um, places that were for many thousands of years, in fact, not wilderness, but carefully sculpted landscape. That's an interesting aspect of this conversation, I suspect, because many people will say, well, logging stopped, wilderness can begin. What do you say to that proposition? Well, I think it's it's why we need to be having this conversation, really. I mean, the wilderness myth has persisted for too long in this country. I guess the idea that country will naturally re- revert to something that's um, that's that's how we want it is is probably something that we really need to question and look at. Um, we know that um, these really highly densely forested areas, often recovering from either wildfire or or logging, tend to to make for dangerously flammable landscapes. And uh, as we look to a future with uh, you know increasing fire weather, we, we really need to interrogate that and and um, and consider that as an issue. And you know the wilderness myth, I guess the reason that we want to push back on that and 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 start to talk about country as a more holistic term, that concept of country not only you know involves the the physical aspect of the landscape, but also the spiritual, and it involves people and people's role within that landscape and the responsibility of people to that landscape to care for it. I mean, that's a really interesting aspect because we, of course, no longer live in that that moment of of pre-colonial Australia. We, We live in an era of modernity. And so much of that land management by First Peoples was the result of an intimate experience of that land of an involvement in that land in day by day. How do we then take that knowledge into this modern context and, and, and scale it to this, this different place? This is the great challenge. And I think we need to be upfront and honest about the fact that managing these landscapes will take significantly more resourcing than we currently put into it. And it it has to be a priority. We are absolutely dependent on the services that forests provide to humanity as a responsibility, simply in in, in a sense of ecosystems. But we draw so much from uh, who we are, from the, uh, the Australian landscapes. And uh, Indigenous cultures, uh, First Nations people, were in a relationship of kinship with country 
and and with that came a a sense of responsibility to care for country and i think as a society we really have to go back to that and understand that black white or brindle um all people have a responsibility to care for this land um, and I, I think that's the first step in, in acknowledging our responsibility. And we talk a lot, you know, about needing to um, reconnect people with nature and reconnect people with the landscape. Mm. Well, we're all connected to the landscape and to country. We can't avoid that. And we all have impacts on country. It's really about recognising the responsibility we have to care for it. You're turning that idea of connection into, into care and responsibility, as you say. I mean, are, are there examples where the, the framework is, is beginning to exist of, of, of that sort of a caring relationship or is this something which needs to, bearing in mind all that Indigenous knowledge, but needs to be imagined from, from scratch into this modern setting? Well, it certainly doesn't need to be imagined from scratch. There are really good examples across Australia of where cultural knowledge is being used to create a biocultural landscape which is rich in culture but also um, biodiverse you know and um, supporting community um, we can look at the way uh, savannah country is managed with fire in the north of Australia but also the you know the, the first peoples the traditional owners of Victoria have worked really closely with um, the Federation Victorian traditional owner corporations to design strategies mm. that really assert the rights of people and a way forward into managing these landscapes. There is a, a, bio, a, a cultural landscape strategy, um, a cultural fire strategy, and, uh, and then individual groups have their own strategy. So there are pathways set forward and ways that we can do this. And I guess I'm really keen to ensure that um, the space is allowed to make sure those voices that have gone into putting this body of work together are heard when making uh, recommendations for who should manage, who should own, who should direct management, and, and these these types of questions uh, are heard. What's your sense of that? I mean, are, are you apprehensive that that might not be the case or are the early indications in, in Victoria as the, the state which is... Uh, in, in its way, leading the country and this this attitude to native forest. Are the early indications encouraging? Look, there's really been very little other than, than some announcements around it. Um, there was an indication that consideration would be given to traditional owner management of landscapes. I, I have no reason to doubt um, the Victorian government's sincerity in that. And I just really hope that not only will that practice be considered, but also it be considered from day dot before any significant decisions are made around the care of these landscapes. Um, but also those voices are, are, you know, for Indigenous people are diverse and heard on that committee. Fire is going to be an issue here, is it not? And, and that, that takes such a shift in colonial thinking uh, to see fire as, as the friend of good management rather than as, as the enemy and the threat to life and limb. Yeah, look, fire is um, an incredibly complex thing, both in the way it, it behaves and in the the different stakeholders and rights holders which are introduced in that conversation. But we're all in this new paradigm together, mm. and so I think we have to all work together to get through it. I think there are we have a landscape which is not the biocultural landscape that Australia was. Uh, on colonisation that no longer exists, although there are elements still with it that we can still hear, that we can find throughout Victoria. So we need to learn from those landscapes that are still in good health. 
but we, we need to be aware that, uh, you know, cultural fire practice wasn't designed to rectify um, some of the forest issues that we have, mm. but we can take principles and apply them. And in the same way, there will be principles from Western fire management that we really need to merge with traditional principles and practices to, to find a, a contemporary way forward for these forests. Because there's no way back to that forest of 1788. Well, I'd argue that there's no way back for forests of 1788 in the way that we currently resource and manage forests. I don't think it has to be the case. I think we have to have a serious conversation in this country about how we uh, value our natural and and cultural landscapes. We, We simply aren't valuing them and resourcing them enough to have good quality outcomes. If you look at the State of Environment report that was released last year, Mm. that's pretty grim reading. And and largely that's about the way we value the environment. It is always a footnote (laughs) at at budget announcements, et cetera. And if we're we're genuine about saving species, supporting, you know, the the management of land in a culturally appropriate way um, and ensuring that the place is safe for communities, then we're going to have to value the land in, in a different way. It's a big shift in thinking, and, and I guess that, that shift has to start several steps back from just conversations around forests. It's, it, it's a big paradigm moment. Uh, absolutely. It, it is a big paradigm moment. But, you know, the, the conversation around forests is, you know, a wonderful way to start those conversations and a, a brilliant mm. opportunity in which to assert the right of First Peoples to speak for country and, and work with agencies to, to move forward together. What are the Victorian forest of, of the future, say, in 200 years? The, the, the Central Highlands would look like what, do you think? Look, uh, it, it, that's a, a really interesting question and one that I'm going to, as a non-traditional owner of the Central Highlands of Victoria, leave open for those peoples to speak for. Um, and I, I really hope that um, we can find a place where, where mob with their, their partners and stakeholders are speaking for those landscapes. So I'll leave it open for them to make that assertion. Well, Jack, let's hope those voices are heard and those conversations are had and that we we arrive at those places uh, together and with, with good effect. Thanks for your time. Jack Pascoe, uh, UN Man and Research Fellow, University of Melbourne, uh, Conservation Research Manager at the Conservation Ecology Centre. The end of native logging in Victoria and perhaps in other places around this country, it's, it's, well, it's not the end. As Jack points out, it's pretty much the beginning. This is Blueprint, ABC RN. ABC RN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.